All right. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to Eaglebrook Church. Really good to have you with us today. Before I dive in, I just want to say a few words about our senior pastor's new book that's being released this week. It's called Done With That. And I got to tell you, one of the things that I love about Bob is that he is one of the least self-promotional people that I know. That if you ask him to do a series on his own book, he's like, I don't know if I want to do that. Having him do like a book release party, it's like knock him over the head, drag him there. Just doesn't want to do that. So let me do for him what he probably doesn't want to do for himself and tell you that this book is phenomenal. Truly. I mean, you probably say, well, you have to say that. He's your boss. But I actually don't have to say that if I didn't want to. His last two books were really good. I would say that this one is in another level. The writing is so punchy and so crisp. If you're a person who appreciates good writing, you'll notice that right away. The thought itself is so profound that if we have this new life in Christ, then why do we still struggle with an old life of sin? Something that each of us needs to wrestle with. And Bob has multiple stories in here that just talk about his own struggles and really opens up about his own life. And I think you'll all grow and appreciate that a lot. In fact, there was one story about he and his wife, Lori, that I was reading a manuscript of this book and I was just in tears. And I actually texted Bob. I said, this is just you know, moving me so much in my life. And so really want to recommend that you pick this up. We've got a book release party coming up on Thursday, August 1st. It's at 630. It's $20. You get a copy of the book. Steve Duty and his blues band will be out there as well. And then next weekend, we are kicking off a brand new series. Bob will be back to give that message. And it's called Done With That. And if you have someone in your life who really wants to follow Jesus, but they just keep getting pulled back into this old life of sin, would you consider inviting them to church next weekend? I really believe this is how God could use you this week to help someone else hear a message from God's word that would help them to be done with that in their life. This week, we are in the final uh, message of a four-week series called The Four Wills of God. It's based on a book by Dr. Emerson Egerich, and in that book, Egerich points out that there are four verses in the Bible where God says, this is my will. Only four. In week one, we saw that it's God's will for us to believe in Jesus Christ, that God actually wills you to have a relationship with his son. Then last week, we saw it's God's will for us to be thankful in all of our circumstances, and then last week, we saw that it's God's will for us to submit to every human authority in our life. This week's message is titled, wait for it, Abstain from Sexual Immorality. Just a light summer topic, you know, just kind of slip it in in the end of July. I had someone ask me this week, they said, what are you speaking on this weekend? And I almost started to giggle. I said, well, the topic is abstain from sexual immorality. And their reaction, they were like, Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> I didn't tell me if they were going to actually come or not. I'm, I'm curious to see our podcast downloads. If anybody is like, hey, what should we listen to? Well, what are some of the titles? Uh, abstain from sexual immorality? Yeah, let's, let's look for a different one. Let's just keep scrolling down there. But I'm actually really excited to speak on this topic. Because so many people have been hurt by sexual sin. And if you're someone who's experienced that in your life, you know the pain of that. You know that that hurts far worse than anything that's ever happened to you physically. Then there's our own sexual sin. Apart from Jesus Christ, nobody has lived a perfectly pure life, myself included. Whether it's with our thoughts or with our actions, we've all had 
sexual sin and impurity in our own lives. So I want you to know that today's message is not to judge you or to shame you, but I do want you to know that God says it's his will that we would abstain from sexual immorality. Here's the specific verse where God says this in 1 Thessalonians. He says, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. Now, that's just kind of a fancy church word that means to be holy, to become more like Jesus Christ. He says that's God's will. And then he says that you should avoid sexual immorality. In other words, if you want to become more like Jesus, if you want to live a holy life, you need to avoid sexual immorality. Now, when I read that verse, two questions popped into my mind. The first one was, what is sexual immorality? Does that mean having sex outside of marriage? Does that mean having an affair? Does that mean having lots of sex outside of marriage, but maybe a little bit would be okay? I mean, what is the definition of that word? And then the second question I had was, how do you avoid it? If it's God's will that we would avoid this, then there's something in me going, okay, well, how do I actually do that? Before I answer those two questions, let me tell you about a text message that I received about a month ago. It was June 10th. I was sitting out on the porch with my wife, and I got a text message from our neighbor. And he said, are your kids in the house? And I texted him back. I said, no, they're down at the other neighbor's house playing. He said, well, you might want to keep them there. There's a black bear in my backyard. And then he sent me this video on a text message. This is in my neighbor's backyard. I can see this backyard from my deck. And there's just a back black bear rolling around out there. And I love her. I love that. Are you for real? What is going on right now? I, I showed this to my wife and she was freaking out. I was excited. I'm like, this is cool. There's a black bear in our neighborhood. My wife was like, kids are never leaving the house. We're never leaving the house. We need to move. I, 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 she was not happy about this. My neighbor texted me later. He goes, beautiful animal. They're more afraid of you than you are of them. I showed that to my wife. I said, he's more afraid of you than you are of him. She said, I don't think that's true. <laughs> but the next day, I was fertilizing my backyard. And when I came to the part of the woods where this black bear had come from, what do you think I did? No yard has ever been fertilized faster. I mean, I was like sprinting with my little fertilizer. If my neighbor had her video camera, she would have been like, are you for real? What is this guy doing? But I was looking over my shoulder because that's what you do when you have a black bear that's in your backyard. Look at what the Bible says about Satan in 1 Peter. It says, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. When you have a prowling lion or a prowling bear in your backyard, you stay alert. You don't send your little Shih Tzu Bashan named Pookie out to the backyard to take a wee-wee when you've got a black bear out there. No, no, you keep the dog in the house. You keep the kids in the house. You warn the neighbors. You stay on guard. Peter says that's what Satan is like. 
He's prowling around looking for someone to devour. When I first became a follower of Christ, I was embarrassed by Satan. And what I mean by that is that when I was talking to someone who didn't believe in God, I wouldn't want to tell them that I believed in Satan. Because I thought they're going to look at me and go, really? Like, that's just kind of weird. I had this picture of Satan that he was this little guy with a yellow or red cape and a pitchfork sitting on people's shoulders, whispering things in their ear. And intuitively, I knew that wasn't true. And so I didn't talk about Satan very much. Even in my speaking or my messages, I wouldn't really bring the topic up. But as I was studying and researching for this week and looking at statistics on sex in America today and sexual sin, I couldn't shake this thought. Satan is having a heyday. You see, Satan is not a little guy with a red cape and a pitchfork sitting on your shoulder. Satan was a spiritual being who could not submit to the authority and power of God. And because of that, he took other angels with him in full rebellion. And today, the spiritual world that is all around us has been in conflict ever since. Now, if you're skeptical about Jesus or the Bible, you might be looking at me going, do you really believe that? And I used to be where you are, but I just have to tell you, yes, I do really believe that. But even if you don't, if there was a spiritual being named Satan, let me ask you this question. How do you think he would operate in the world today? Do you think he would operate through Ouija boards, tarot cards, black magic horoscopes? Yeah, maybe some of the time. But here's the primary way that Satan attacks and operates. It's through distractions and seductions. So when Eve was in the Garden of Eden, how did Satan tempt her? Well, first, he distracted her. He took her eyes off of God and put it onto this forbidden fruit. And then he seduced her. He said, you know, did God really say you shouldn't do that? Because I don't think so. I think God is just holding out on you, and you could be as powerful as God if you ate from that tree. Then in the Old Testament, King Solomon one of the wisest men who's ever lived, Satan distracted him with women from foreign nations, and then he seduced Solomon to marrying these women who didn't believe in God, and he started to drift. In the New Testament, Judas, who betrayed Jesus, it said that Satan entered into him. But how did Satan actually get him to betray Jesus? Well, he seduced Judas with his love for money. Over and over, Satan operates through distraction and seduction, and he's still operating that way today. Consider a few of these statistics with me. 60% of people who have gone through a divorce say that pornography was a contributing cause. If you've been through a divorce, you know how painful that can be. It's hard on your kids. It's really hard on the person who's going through the divorce, the stress of that, the pain of that. 60% of people who have had to go through that kind of situation look back and go, pornography was a contributing cause. Living together in America today, in the last 30 years, has gone up 700%. And the prevailing thought in our culture is, well, if you want to get married and have a good marriage, you should probably try it out first. You should probably live together, probably see if you're good at having sex with each other so you kind of have that figured out before you get married, and that will lead to a 
longer, happier marriage. Did you know that of people who live together and who end up getting married, 80% of them have their marriage end in divorce? There's different statistics on this, but some of them are as high as 80%. What about depression? Growing epidemic in our world today. Have you seen the statistics on teenage girls and depression? They surveyed teenage girls and they found that of those that are sexually active, 25% say that they are also very depressed. One-fourth. Then they surveyed girls who are not sexually active and they found that only 7% of them said that they were also very depressed. Why are we doing this to our young girls? Thankfully, more and more teenagers today are noticing this and more and more teenagers and young adults are going, you know what, I'm gonna do something different. In fact, a recent study just came out by NBC News. They found that 40% of teenagers are sexually active today which is down from 57% in the 1990s. Shocking decline. That means that 60% of more of teenagers and young adults are saying, you know what, I'm going to follow God on this. I'm going to do things differently. And if you are one of those, I just got to say, way to go. We are so proud of you, and I believe that God is going to bless you and honor your life for that decision. And you are actually in the majority these days, even though it doesn't feel like that, does it? Friends of mine were watching some golf with their two young kids. And all of a sudden, a commercial came on for a new show hosted by Kristen Cavalieri, and it's basically called Hook Up or Go Home. And the whole premise is these young adults come to a beautiful resort, and they have to try to hook up with one another, or else they get sent home. So if you can find someone to hook up with, You can stay. We accept you. You're included. We love you. But if you can't find somebody to hook up with, loser. You're out of here. We don't accept you. You're not included anymore. And that's the message that our teenagers are getting every single day. It's not just teenagers. Recent study found that for adults who were married, The ones who reported being the happiest in marriage were those that had one sexual partner throughout their lifetime. Those who said they were the least happy in marriage had multiple sexual partners throughout their life. It's no wonder that God says this in 1 Thessalonians. Again, it is God's will. Not just a suggestion, not just a thought, not just a, well, this might be good. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. Call me prude, call me old-fashioned, call me unprogressive and uptight, call me whatever you want, but I am telling you, what we are doing in America today is not working. And here's why I attribute this to the work of Satan. Because despite all those statistics that I just gave to you, the prevailing thought amongst most people today is still, if you aren't having sex before marriage, then there might be something wrong with you, and you're a little bit weird. I was reading an article in Vogue magazine about Justin Bieber. And Justin Bieber was interviewed, and he was talking about his recent marriage to Haley Baldwin. And he said that before marriage, when they were dating, they didn't have sexual intimacy with one another. Now, they may have done that previously, but in their relationship, they had chosen to make that commitment. 
Here's what Justin Bieber said about that specifically in the interview. He said, I think sex can cause a lot of pain. Sometimes people have sex because they don't feel good enough, because they lack self-worth. Women do that and guys do that. He went on and said, I wanted to rededicate myself to God because I felt it was better for the condition of my soul. And I believe that God blessed me with Haley as a result. Now, whether or not you like Justin Bieber and his music or not, you would think that people would applaud him for this. You'd think they'd go, wow, that's pretty amazing self-control. Way to go. No, he got hammered. Secular media wrote all kinds of articles about it. Here was one by a woman named Rebecca Reed. She said this. She said, sex is a vital part of marriage. And the only way to know if you're going to have good sex is to try it out. That's the thought. But here's my, my pushback. Is sex something that you're either good at or not good at? Like if I walk up to someone, I say, what are you good at? One person might say, I'm good at golf. Another person says, I'm really good at drawing. Another person says, I'm good at sex. Do you go, oh, I want to marry you. <laughs> you're the one I want to be with. No, that's not how it works. The way you get good at sex is over a lifetime of communicating with each other and developing emotional intimacy with one another. And when you're married, you have your whole life to do that. But isn't it interesting, despite all the statistics that I just read to you, that there's still people who say, no, 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 you, you, you got to try it out first. What about The Bachelorette? You all watching The Bachelorette this year? I'm not going to make you raise your hand. I just thought I'd have a moment of awkward silence just to <laughs> make you squirm a little bit on that one. I'm not watching The Bachelorette this year, but The Bachelorette is a girl named Hannah, and she says that faith is very important to her, and I have no reason to doubt her in that. But at one point, she was asked this question, have you had sexual relations with some of the other guys on the show? And she admitted that she had, but she was offended by that question. Not even so much for, because of the private nature of it, but she said she was offended because she felt judged. Here was her exact words. She said this, quote, regardless of anything that I've done, I can do whatever. I sin daily and Jesus still loves me. Now take those two statements next to one another. I can do whatever I want and Jesus still loves me. Technically, that's true. Technically, no matter how much you've sinned, no matter how far away from God you are, Jesus Christ still has a love for you. But think about the kind of relationship with God that creates. I can do whatever I want. Jesus still loves me. Look at what Jesus himself says in John 14. He says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. So we say, I can do whatever I want. Jesus still loves me. Yeah, Jesus still loves us. But do we love Jesus? Because Jesus himself says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. And God says, it is my will that you would avoid sexual immorality. But this is the world we live in today. The world we live in says, it's my body. I can do what I want. We're in love. Don't judge me. To which I say, you're right. It is your body. And you're right. You can do whatever you want. And you may be in love. But here's the question I have for you. Whose will do you want for your life? Do you want your will 
or do you want God's will? Because you can say, it's, it's my body, I can do whatever I want. We're in, yeah, that, that, that's your will. But I believe that God's will is always better for us. And when God says no, here's what he really means. He means don't hurt yourself. In other words, God doesn't say don't do this because it's super fun and it's going to make your life so much better and happier, so therefore I don't want you to do it. God says no because he understands the pain and hurt that can come when you have sexual relations outside the context of marriage. And so God says no because he loves us. And Satan has deceived us to think otherwise. I love this quote from the book, Every Man's Battle. He says, before we're married, Satan does everything he can to get us to have sex with others. After marriage, Satan does everything to keep us from having sex with our spouse. If you're single, you're like, I don't get it. If you're married, you're like, that's pretty true. And it is when you think about it. Prior to marriage, there's this, oh my goodness, I got to do this with every single person I can. Then you get married and all of a sudden it switches. God wants to flip that in your life. God wants you to be enjoying the gift of sexual intimacy within the context of marriage. But God says avoid sexual immorality because he wants us to avoid the pain. Now you might be looking at me going, well, what's the deal with marriage? Why is that like the line? That's just a piece of paper. Why is it that I shouldn't do this before I sign the piece of paper, but then after I sign the piece of paper, then it's good, then I should do it? It's because marriage isn't just a piece of paper. Marriage is a promise with some actions behind it. When you said, I do, you swore an oath before God. And an oath before God ought to mean something. Again, it's why God says, it's my will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. Here's what sexual immorality means. Here's the definition of this. It's any sexual act or lustful thought outside the context of marriage between a man and a woman. Now you might say, well, I don't really like that. I wish it was kind of different. But that's, that's what it means when the Bible says that. One of the interpretations and ways you interpret the Bible is to ask yourself, what did the author mean when he wrote this? That's how we generally tend to interpret all writings. And in the first century, people would have understood that when Paul said sexual immorality, what he meant was all sexual acts or lustful thoughts outside the context of marriage. Jesus was once asked about marriage, and here's how Jesus responded. He said, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. That's not just my opinion. That's not just our church's opinion. That, that's Jesus' words. He says that God created them male and female. And he created them to leave their father and mother and they would be joined together and become one. And what God brought together, let nobody separate. But I want to keep saying it over and over again. The reason that God says that is because he loves you. 
and he wants the very best for your life. And so God says, avoid this. How do you do that? How do you avoid sexual immorality in your life? Here's the first way. You don't get too close to the line. I mentioned in one of my previous messages that I had gotten rid of my 2001 Toyota Highlander, and I bought a new 2019 Toyota Highlander, and I hope to drive it for the next 20 years. But it's something to go from a 2001 to a 2019, because I had a tape deck in my old car, and now I have a screen. People are like, how do you like your car? I'm like, I got a screen. They're like, yeah, I've had that for a couple years. I'm like, well, I had a tape deck, so this is quite the upgrade for me. Now, there were some things on the 2001 that I have to tell you, I liked them better. For example, when I'm dropping my kids off at practice, I, don't, I didn't have to put the car in park. They would trust me enough to keep my foot on the brake while my kids opened the door and got out of the car. I liked that. Sometimes if I was really in a hurry, I might just kind of roll through just a little bit, just <laughs> pop them out, just keep rolling down the street, right? So I miss being able to do that, but on the 2019, they have all these safety features. And one of the, the most weird ones for me was the lane departure alert. See, I have this thing where I don't always use my blinker. Don't mention this to my wife. This has been a source of contention in our marriage for 17 years. But I have this thing where if the car in the left lane is like a mile back or a half mile back, why do they need to know that I'm switching lanes? Well, why do they need to have that information? Why do I have to take the time? It's just a waste of my time. So I just drift right over and keep going. First time I did that on my 2019, car started to beep. Beep, 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 beep. I, I thought the cars were going to explode. Like, what is going on right now? It is ticking down to detonation. What, this is it. Turns out it was the lane departure alert. That when you cross over a line, whether it's into the other lane or towards the shoulder, and you don't have your blinker on, it will start to beep. So there's only two ways to get it to not beep. The first one is don't cross any lines when you don't have your blinker on. And the second one is to turn the system off, which is what I did. <laughs> but here's my question for you. Wouldn't it be something if there was a lane departure alert for life? There actually is. It's called the Holy Spirit. That when you put your faith in God, God puts into you the Holy Spirit. And one of the things that the Holy Spirit does is it starts to beep in your conscience when you're getting too close to sin. But here's the problem. A lot of us tune out the Holy Spirit. We, don't, we get annoyed by feeling convicted when we're about to cross a line. We don't want to be told what to do, even by God. And so we tune out the Holy Spirit like I turned off my lane departure alert, and we cross over lines whenever we want. When I used to work with teenagers, one of the questions that they would ask me all the time is they would say, how far is too far? And what they meant was, how close can I get to the line and still be okay? And I would always say, that's the wrong question. The right question is, how can you stay close to God? How can you stay in the center of his lane, in the center of his will? Look at what Paul writes in Ephesians 5. He says this, but among you, there must not even be a hint. I love that word, a hint of sexual immorality 
or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. He says there shouldn't even be a hint. What's a hint? Sex outside of marriage? That would be a hint. Having an affair? That would be a hint. Pornography would be a hint. What about the ads that pop up on my computer or a Netflix original show? That might be a hint. Depending upon what people are wearing and where your brain is drawn to, that could be a hint. What about if you're flirting with a coworker at work and you're married? Or you're telling a coworker at work about your marriage and how bad it is and how much you're struggling? I'd say that's a hint. Fooling around with your boyfriend or girlfriend, that would be a hint. You see, the line is not hard to discern, it's hard to do. Which is why a lot of people just move the line in order to justify their behavior. But God says, among you, if, if you want to follow my will, there shouldn't even be a hint. So don't even get close to that line. Here's the second way that you can avoid sexual immorality. It says, put a ring on and around. Let me explain what I mean by this. Up here, I have a fire pit. And if I were to start a fire in this fire pit, I don't think most of you would get all that nervous. I think you'd say, oh, you know, there's a ring around it. It's contained. I think we'll be fine. But what if I said, you know what? I'm going to start a fire on this wood table. So I'm going to get the newspaper out. I'm going to get some of these fire starters, which work really well. And I'm going to get a couple logs on here. And I'm just going to... And I said, you know what? I'm just going to start a fire. I'm not actually going to do that, by the way. <laughs> fire marshal facilities people would attack me. But if I did this, you'd get a little nervous, wouldn't you? Because you go, wait a minute. It's, it, there's nothing constraining it. There's no ring around it. It's just out in the open on a wood table. And yeah, you might get a fire, but you might also burn some things that you never intended to burn. Sex is the exact same way. More and more people that I talk to are starting the sexual fire in their life outside of marriage. And there's no ring around it. There's no commitment of marriage. There's nothing to constrain it. There's no oath before God or promise to the other person. And so, yeah, you might get a fire, but you also might burn some things that you never intended to burn. And I talk to people all the time who come up to me and say, you know what, I, I, I did that. I, I started that fire, and there was no ring around it. There was no constraint. There was no promise or commitment. And some things got burned up. My relationship went up in flames. Now I have patterns of living in my mind or in my thought life. I, I thought it was cool when I was in my 20s, but now that I'm in my 30s and 40s, I'd really like to break free from that. There's some scar tissue that's been built up. There's pain, there's hurt, there's regret. Why does that happen? In their book, Hooked, two doctors researched physical intimacy. And what they found was it's not just a physical act. We tend to think that it is. We tend to think if I can just avoid the physical consequences of this and then I'll have safe sex, then I'll probably be okay. 
But what they found is that when two people come together, there's a chemical that gets released into your brain. And that chemical increases receptors in both men and women, and it forms an emotional bond or connection. And that emotional bond is quite deep. That's why they titled their book Hooked. Because when you have physical intimacy, you become hooked, you become bonded, you become emotionally attached. Here's my question. What happens when you become emotionally attached to this person, and then you tear that off and you become emotionally attached with this person, and then you tear that off and you become emotionally attached with this person? Over time, you begin to hurt yourself emotionally. It's why God says again, it's my will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. If you're here today and you're single, I want to urge you to make a commitment to God that says, I'm going to reserve sex for marriage. And I might get made fun of, that might not be popular, but I want God's best for my life. By the way, being single, there's nothing wrong with that. We live in a culture where marriage has become this idolatrous thing where, you know, if you want to be happy, you got to meet someone, you got to find someone, that's what's going to complete you. Jesus was single. Paul was single. There's nothing wrong with being single and having time to serve God in your life. Maybe you're here today and you have been sexually active. I want to urge you to make a commitment to God that you will confess what you've done and you need to know that you can be forgiven. And not only forgiven, but God says, your sins I will remember no more. Which means that when you come before God, God's not going to go, are you really going to pray and ask me for something? Because remember what you did two years ago? Remember what you did six months ago? No, God's not like that. He will forgive you. He will remember your sins no more. If you've been through a divorce... We love you. Our church loves you. God loves you. And what you went through may have been extremely painful. And you may think, well, I'm not a teenager anymore. I'm not a young adult anymore. I can kind of do what I want. But this verse has no age restriction. It applies to everyone. If you had an affair, there's no scarlet letter. That is not the unforgivable sin but you need to confess that what you did was wrong and you need to do everything you can to make restitution and to make it right. If you're addicted to pornography, I have so much empathy for you, but you need to confess that to someone and talk about it so you can be free. If you're here today and you're married and your marriage isn't going well, and maybe this issue of sex is part of the reason why it's always been a pain point for you, you need to go see a Christian counselor, talk to a pastor. Don't give up. You have your whole life to work on this, to communicate, and where you are today may not be where you are years from now. You can work through this and have a whole new level of intimacy. And if you're here today and you're married and you're in a pretty good emotional spot with each other, I just have to say to you, bow chicka, wow, wow. Sorry, kids, that was embarrassing. Just go to bed early, don't ask questions. Let's stand and pray together at all of our campuses. (laughs) 
God, it's good to laugh at times. We, we don't take ourselves too seriously. But God, we do want to take you seriously. And I want to take your word seriously. And I want to take your will seriously. And God, I just believe right now and we trust you that you say these things not because you're against us, not because you're trying to restrict us or hold us back, but because you love us and want the best for our life. And I pray that you would give us all the faith and trust to believe that and to follow you, God, in that. God, if there's someone here today who has been hurt by someone else's sexual sin against them, God, I pray right now by the power of Jesus Christ that you would heal them. God, if there's someone here today who's seen a relationship or something burn up in their life because of their own sexual sin, God, as they turn to you, I pray for your forgiveness and your grace and your mercy and your restoration to come upon them. God, I pray for young people here today that they can make a commitment and they wouldn't worry about what other people think, but they would worry about what you think. And I pray that you'd bless them and honor them for that. God, I thank you that you are a God who loves us, who cares about us, and who wants the very best for our life. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great weekend, everybody.